Uh, if you're not there already, Second or First Thessalonians chapter 2. Last week we looked at verses 10 through 12. And remember we saw the call to walk worthy of the call of the Lord. And we saw in that call to walk worthy of the call of God, he has called us into his kingdom and into his glory, which is such an awesome thing. We considered in that call to walk worthy of the call of God, not only our words and the fact that we have been called to share the gospel with others, but also the call to walk worthy of the call of God also includes our behavior and our witness and how we are acting. Are we living like a people that look like they are worthy of God sending a son to die on the cross for our sins? And so we looked a little bit about of what that looks like, and we also looked at a lot of instruction on how God wants to strengthen us and help us in our daily behavior, our daily activity, that our light would shine before men. Now that message is available online, radiorefuge.net or refugechurch.info, and then we also have CDs out there in the foyer, and if you're with us, I'd encourage you to consider taking a listen to that. This morning, we're building on what we looked at last week and in the previous weeks here in 1 Thessalonians, and this morning entitled the message, Welcoming the Word of God, and the Lord willing, we'll look at verse 13 through 16. And what we're going to see this morning is the Word of God is the Word of God, that it was written in truth and it's not the Word of men, and we're going to see all kinds of, of, of things that absolutely back that God's Word is God's Word, as we'll see in Peter's epistle, him saying, we have the word of God confirmed. And so we're going to look at some of those confirmations. We're also going to see that those in Thessalonica welcomed it and received it as the word of God and not as the word of men. And as a result of that, it effectively worked in their lives to the point where these new believers, these Gentiles, these pagans had come to faith in the Lord and they were bearing the same fruits of those in Judea who had come to the Lord and the church there that had been birthed many years earlier. And as God's word is implanted into our hearts and we welcome it, the same fruit will be birthed in our lives as the Holy Spirit works in our lives and God's word works in our lives as well. Not only did we see that it effectively worked in them to bear great fruit, but we'll also see this morning that those in Judea were being persecuted for the word of God and in like manner, Those in Thessalonica were being persecuted as well. And the Lord said that all who love him and desire to live for him, they're going to face some persecution likewise. We'll also see that those that bring that persecution, those that oppose the word of God, God is very gracious and merciful to them. He gives them opportunity to repent. But if they don't, when their sin runs its course, the Bible speaks of even more of a judgment coming upon them that are preventing others from hearing the word of God and preventing others from coming to a place of salvation. And boy, there's a lot of that in our culture today. So a little bit of where we've been, where we're going. Let's read the text together, and then we'll take this a verse at a time. He says here in verse 13, again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, You welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea, in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, 
just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Now notice here these first words of verse 13, and we're going to camp on this for a second, and it's going to set up what we're going to go into next. But he says, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. So also, meaning into a, in addition to all the things that we're thanking God for, without ceasing, we also want to thank God for you and what God's doing in your life. But before we get into Paul thanking God for them and what God was doing in their life and what they were doing, notice here again, this is Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving. In addition to thanking God for you and you receiving the word of God, we have so many other things to give thanks to God for and to give thanks to God without ceasing. And every time we come to this in the scripture, listen, I'm going to camp on it for a second or a minute, maybe two minutes and talk about it because it's so important in our lives that we recognize that we are called to be a thankful and a, great peop- and, and a grateful people. I mean, we have a high call, especially as followers of Jesus Christ, to give thanks to the Lord without ceasing, to give thanks to God in times that we deem good, as well to give thanks to God in times that we deem difficult, to give thanks to God when our, when our wives aren't at the retreat and perhaps they make us a nice omelet breakfast, And to give thanks to God when our wives are at a retreat and we're reduced to the toaster and some egos and whatnot. You know, no matter what, we want to give thanks to him. And we see the call throughout the word of God in the old and in the new. First Chronicles 16, 8, oh, give thanks to the Lord. And you see this call throughout the Psalms and so forth. Give thanks to the Lord. We move to the New Testament, Colossians 3, 17. And whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And whatever you do, he says, in all that you do, give thanks to God. Give thanks to the Lord on Sunday morning when we're gathered together here as a church body, praising him. It's also a call, though, to give thanks to the Lord on Monday morning when the alarm goes off and it's time to get up and go to work. And that should be a little easier this Monday morning with the extra hour sleep that you got, right? It's, it's a little more challenging when it's spring forward. But no matter what, in whatever we're doing, we have this call to give thanks to God. Hebrews thirteen fifteen. therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So again, the call to give thanks to the Lord. And whatever we do, and all that we do, and without ceasing has been placed upon us. And listen, we have all the reasons in the world to give thanks to him. We're not just told to give thanks, but we are told reasons why we should give thanks to the Lord without ceasing as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. I could, you know, we could go on and on and on on this, but I'll give you a few of those reasons. Again, 1 Chronicles 16, now this time verse 34, later in that same chapter. It says, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. 
And you see that phrase repeated throughout the Old Testament. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. He is good, isn't he? Can we say amen to that? And his mercy endures forever. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And if we all got what we deserved every single day, we would be in big trouble. Because again, God's standards perfection. And even as followers of Jesus Christ who are positionally right with them, practically, day by day, we fall short. And yet he's merciful towards us. He's long-suffering. He's patient. In his mercy, again, not giving what we deserve, we also see his grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And in his mercy, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a sinless life, to go to the cross for us, so that we could have a way, not only not to get what we deserve, hell in our sin, but we could get salvation and forgiveness and get what we don't deserve, eternity with a holy God who is sinless. What an awesome God that we have. We also see in James 1.16, and listen, we're always gonna come back to this when we see this call to give thanks without ceasing. He says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Boy, it's easy for us to be deceived. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. We have been inundated with good gifts. Listen, the fact we're gathered here this morning, that we're all clothed, that we all had clean water, the food we partook of, again, this nice place to gather, many of the freedoms we have in this country. More than that, though, again, God sending a son, the future and hope we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, spiritual gifts and so forth, his word on and on and on. Listen, every good and perfect gift is from him. Let's give thanks to him. Let's be an appreciative people walking worthy of the call of Christ. And when we're not being a thankful people, we don't look very worthy of God sending his son to die for sinners in the rebellion whose righteousness in and of ourself is as filthy rags. And then Romans 8.28, a scripture, listen, we quote so often, it's so important. And we know that all things work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together. So if we know that, all things are working together for my good to God's glory, as I have been called to the Lord Jesus Christ, and how do you know that you're called? Have you called on the name of the Lord? Then you can know that you are called by the Lord. All things work together. Even those things we are tempted to complain about, those things that make us disgruntled, those trials, those persecutions, those valleys, so to speak, God says he's working it for good in our lives. That's reason to give thanks to our God. And then listen, lastly, when we are a thankful people, are you ready for this? This is really basic. When we are a thankful people, when we count our blessings daily, and boy, I encourage you to be one who counts your blessings daily to start your prayer and to start your day with prayer and to start your prayer with giving thanks to God and beginning to recount those blessings and thank him for it, thank him throughout the day. When we are a thankful people, are you ready for this? Our lives are gonna be better. Do you wanna have a better life? Can you say amen to that? I hope we'd all say amen. I hope you're like, no, I'm spiritual. I don't wanna have a better life. We wanna have a better life. Well, listen to this. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, and this is huge in this, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It's a wonderful thing to have the peace of God in your heart. In the midst of trials, in the midst of difficulties, whether you're in the valley or on the hilltop, to have the peace of God that passes understanding, the people would say, I don't understand. How do you have so much peace? I brought these things before the Lord with thanksgiving. And absolutely, as a result, God has filled my heart with a peace. Because when we're giving thanks, when we're bringing things before him, our, our perception of things gets corrected. We remember, wait a minute, God's on the throne. And God's given me breath in my lungs. God's provided for me. God sent his son. God has a hope for me in the future. I don't need to be anxious. My God is ruling and reigning even in the midst of this difficulty. There is a peace of God that comes from the truth of the Lord and acknowledging it. And there is a peace of God that comes from the Holy Spirit of God when we give thanks to him. On the flip side of this, though, do you want to have a worse life? I hope there's no amens there. Yes, I'm spiritual. I want to have a worse life. There's some people that think that way. They think if you have the joy of the Lord, boy, you know, they're, boy, boy, something's fishy here. God's called us to have the joy of the Lord. We should also weep and lament and be grieved over sin as the Lord was. But the Lord also had joy in everywhere he went. It's that two-sided coin. We would weep over sin, but we would rejoice over our Savior, amen? But complaining, listen, if you want to have a worse life, become a complainer. And boy, there's a lot of complaining in our culture, is there not? Easy to have a grumbling spirit. And a complaining, grumbling spirit is going to kill joy and it's going to usher in sin. Psalm 77.3, the psalmist wrote, I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Thanksgiving, the peace of God that passes all understanding, complaining, overwhelmed. Overwhelmed with anxiety, with worry, with the fruits of the flesh. 1 Corinthians 10.10, nor complain as some of them complained and they were destroyed by the destroyer. Complaining brings destruction. There's a destruction to our soul that happens when we are a complaining people. And I'll tell you as well, complaining it darkens the light that God has called us to be to this world around us. Philippians 2.14, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights. Again, a crooked and perverse. You could say we are in a culture that is full of perversity. It's full of complaining. And if you want to shine as a light, do all things without complaining. Take it a step further. Do all things in thanksgiving and your light will shine for the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, Paul is saying in addition to all these things that we give thanks to God for without ceasing and acknowledging God and thanking him without ceasing, we're also thanking God for you. And specifically, we'll see here in a second, thanking God that they were receiving the word of God and the word of God was producing a great work in their life. We need to learn to do this more, to be more thankful for others. God has put us in one another's lives to be a blessing to one another. And we should be grateful for one another. 
We should be grateful in the body of Christ for the gifts that he has given to each one of us. And it should be all the more an encouragement to each one of us to practice our gifts that we would be a blessing to one another. Again, Paul's thanking them for them, for the work that was going through them. To the gifts that God had given to them and the fact they were using them. And as a result, the body of Christ was being built up. It's interesting, in 1 Corinthians, God moves Paul to write about the natural body as an illustration of the body of Christ. And he talks about different body parts and how they have different functions and how an ear, you know what, can hear but it can't see. So in that, the ear is blessed by the eye and the eye is blessed by the ear and so forth. And in our own body, listen, when your back's itchy, aren't you thankful for your arm and your hand and your fingernails to get back there and itch your back? And when your stomach's hungry, aren't you thankful for your mouth that can chew up that food and bring nourishment? And hopefully all the body parts are thankful for the heart that pumps that blood. I mean, we're not in a place where when we stub our toe, the rest of our body says, suck it up, what's wrong with you? The body goes to it, intends to it, and so forth. We need to understand, again, Christ is the head and we're the body of Christ, and the Lord absolutely wants us to have a thankful heart for one another. We should also be giving thanks when others are being blessed. And Paul was giving thanks because the church in Thessalonica was flourishing and it was being blessed. I think oftentimes, though, we fall into the lie of envy. And just as complaining will bring in the destroyer, and complaining will bring in overwhelming anxiety, listen, envy is going to rot the soul. Envy is a horrible thing. Jealousy, indifference. Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Because when you see blessings going on in other people's lives, It's a reminder that God blesses us despite us. And the blessings you see should be a reminder of the blessings that God has given to you. And we should thank the Lord for that. And then we should especially give thanks when souls are coming to the Lord and growing in the Lord, like what was happening there in Thessalonica. And again, Paul says, for this reason, We also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as men, the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God which also effectively works in you who believe. Paul's rejoicing. We brought the word of God. You saw it was the word of God. We'll talk more about that here in a second. You received it as the word of God. You received Christ as your savior. Now God's word is effectively working in your life. You're bearing fruits. We'll see here in a second. They were reflective now of the church that had been there a lot longer in Judea and the fruit that was going on there. And he says, this is an awesome thing. This is something that we should rejoice in. This should be at the top of the list of things we rejoice in when the gospels preach, when men get saved, people get saved and they begin to grow in the Lord. That's having that eternal perspective. Jesus told a parable about a woman who had 10 coins and she lost one of them. And she swept her house and searched and searched. And when she found the coins, she rejoiced and she told her friends and they celebrated. And he says, likewise, in Luke 15, 10, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God where one sinner who repents. We've been called to have a heavenly mind. There's oftentimes we'll rejoice in a coin we lost that we found or a coin we didn't lose that we found. (laughs) 
But how much more should we be heavenly minded knowing life here is short, eternity is set before us? And when the gospels preach and then when people get saved and come to the Lord, their whole eternity has been changed. Listen, is not a soul more valuable than a coin? And Paul's celebrating this. These pagans that worshiped demons, that practiced the occult and so forth, had heard the word of God and received it as such, and now God was doing an incredible work in their life. And he just says, listen, in addition to all the things I thank God for without ceasing, now I get to thank God for you and the work that God is doing in your life. Because for Paul, even seeing that God do that work in their life was even all the more confirmation that God is who he says he is, and his word is the word of God. And again, he wants us to receive the word as the word of God in truth as it is. Yet there's so many that say God's word is not God's word, it's just the word of man. And if it's just the word of man, it has no authority. And so many do this to the, their eternal detriment. They shun the word of God. They say men wrote it, and then they spout off all the different reasons why they believe that, or they regurgitate something that they heard that they hold on to, because let me tell you, the word of God convicts men of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and you're either going to yield to it and come to the Lord, or you got to put up some resistance, because the Holy Ghost is going after lost souls, wanting to see them saved. And there's so many of these different reasons people come up with. You've probably heard some of these before. Well, it's full of contradictions. I hear that one from time to time. And I say, really? Well, you must have studied God's word a long time to come to that conclusion. Can you name a few? And then you hear cricket. Well, I read the gospels and all the accounts given by the four writers aren't exactly the same. Yes, but they don't contradict one another. Some have some information that this report doesn't have, but there's no contradiction. I mean, it's four authors to give four viewpoints of the same thing. If there was an accident this afternoon on, in the intersection of Morrow Road and El Camino, and there's four people on four different corners, they're going to report the same accident, but the details might be a little bit different. God gave us four Gospels to color in more details, to learn more about our Lord and so forth. Contradictions, though, are not there. Others will say, well, you know what, I would believe, but it's been changed so many times. Really, you must have studied, again, very long to come to that conclusion. Well, no, I heard that. Listen, there's over 25,000 ancient copies of the Bible. Nothing else even comes close. Ancient manuscripts and so forth. I mean, you're talking about to a handful to maybe dozens of other ancient manuscripts that secular society holds up as, you know what, absolute truth. The Bible has over 25, the New Testament, over 25,000 ancient copies. Nothing ever, nothing else even begins to remotely come close. And you find consistency in all of those copies. You don't find contradictions. You can take our Bible today and compare it to those ancient manuscripts and you're going to get the same thing. The Dead Sea Scrolls found, you know, some 50, 60 years ago and the Lord willing on this trip to Israel we're going and we'll go to Quorum where 
These were found, and there's a museum there. It has the entire scroll of the book of Isaiah, and guess what? It reads exactly like the book of Isaiah that we have in our Bibles here this morning. There's others that will cleave to the lie of evolution. Well, evolution's a scientific fact. Therefore, God's word doesn't even need to be considered because we just evolved and we're the product of time plus slime. It just happened. So if that works for you, that's fine. But I cleave to evolution. Listen, that's a bankrupt theory that was made up by godless, hear this, racist men. Adolf Hitler built his whole little kingdom on Darwinism, on racism. He believed that the white Aryan race was the more advanced race and the Jews were the least advanced. And in survival of the fittest, those that are powerful wipe out those that are weak. By the way, that's the same motto of Satanism. And so he justified what he did in the name of Darwin. Survival of the fittest. And think about it, if evolution really is true, that's true as well. Yet why do we have morals? Why are there laws? If only the strong survived and were evolved, why is it a crime to commit murder? Because God's written his law on man's heart, is why. And even godless men, when they don't acknowledge it, the fact they know murder is wrong, it's evidence there's a moral God who wrote his law upon their heart. And then on top of that, listen, Something cannot come from nothing. That's science. Life can only come from life. That's proven science. Information, like in DNA, it can't just appear. If there's information, there has to be a programmer. Things with intelligent design have a designer. Do any of you think the cell phone in your pocket is the product of sign plus time? Listen, your mind blows away any computer, any phone, anything like that. And explosions don't produce order. They produce disorder. We can say, there's just an explosion and it all happened. Okay. Listen, it takes a whole lot more faith to trust in those things. The real reason men cleave to these types of lies is because they, in God's word, convicts the hearts of men of sin, righteousness, and judgment of we are sinners, of the fact God is righteous, of the fact we'll be judged, of the fact that we need to turn from our sin, from being our own God and acknowledge Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. This is why the name of Jesus Christ is such an offense. No one gets bent out of shape if you use the name Bala, or Buddha, or Bala, Buddha Bala. You even see these men doing terrorist attacks, calling out to the name of Allah, and secular society is not even offended by it. Doesn't even phase them. Because the God of Islam is not the God of the Bible. That's the satanic moon God. But boy, the name of Jesus. You want to ruffle some feathers? You want to stir up some persecution like in Judea and Thessalonica? Start talking about Jesus Christ, and boy, people start having meltdowns. Because at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. Again, they receive God's word as God's word. God's word declares that the scriptures are inspired by God. 2 Peter 1.19, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed. We'll come back to that in a second. Again, his prophetic word 
has been confirmed. We'll see in a second through prophecy that's been fulfilled. Which you also do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of men, of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And what you're going to find in the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation, it was written over 1,500 years on three continents by 40 authors with vastly different backgrounds. Some were kings, some were farmers, some were prophets, some were fishermen. But what you're going to find throughout God's Word is a seamless thread of continuity. Genesis starts with creation and three chapters in, man falls, man sins. God says the day you eat of that tree, you're going to die. Man believes the lie, he can be his own God. Each of the trees separated from God and God comes in with the first messianic promise. The Savior's going to come, the serpent will bruise his heel, but that Savior's going to crush his head. And the whole Old Testament is about the coming of Jesus Christ. All of these writers in accord are looking to the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And then God raises up Israel to be the vehicle whom he brings the Savior through. And all the focus on Israel ultimately is that God has separated a people to bring forth the Messiah through their genealogy. And there's a continuity in all those books looking to the coming of Jesus. The Gospels proclaim the coming of Jesus. Go read the book of Matthew and chapter after chapter, you're going to see the fulfillment and reference to Old Testament scriptures fulfilled in the New Testament. You're going to see it all the Gospels, you especially see it in the book of Matthew. The fulfillment of all these writers pointing to the coming of Christ. And in the Gospels, we see the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. And then the epistles are written which point back to the life of Christ, how to walk in Christ, and are you ready for it, that are pointing to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And there's a continuity throughout it. That's why, you know what, these Gnostic Gospels that were written by perverse men after the first century church, well, why aren't they in the Bible? It's the Gospel of Judas. Because they're not prophetic. Because they don't point to Jesus Christ. They're easily shown in you know, exposed as the writings of men. Jesus proclaimed the scriptures as the word of God. Jesus said in Mark 12, 24, are you not therefore mistaken because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God? He equated the scriptures with the power of God. And Jesus confirms in his ministry the account of six-day creation, that God created men, male and female, period. That marriage and sexual relations is to be one man and one woman in holy matrimony. Jesus confirms the account of Noah, the account of Jonah being swallowed by the fish. He says that Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The son of man will be in the belly of the earth three days and three nights. He confirms the prophets and so forth. He even prophesies about his own death and resurrection, which he fulfilled. You'll see Jesus continually going back to it was written. It is written. His whole ministry was built on the scriptures. And then there are so many confirmations throughout the word of God that it is the word of God, historically and archaeologically spot on. Listen, there's been so many times when men have mocked the Bible. Oh, there was no Pilate. This is all made up. We don't know who this Pontius Pilate is, and then they're digging and they're digging. And by the way, in the Middle East, the archaeologist's guidebook is the Bible. And some guy takes something out, 
you know, dust it off. Oh, Pilate, Pontius Pilate. Well, what do you know? The Bible was right. And for years, they mocked the city of Nineveh in the book of Jonah. Oh, just a fictional story. And then lo and behold, they're digging around and they find the stones crying out with the word, the city of Nineveh. The rock city of Petra. Well, you talk about a wonder in the world. Hotels built all around it now. People from all the world go and see it for years and years and years. They mocked it. Oh, that place couldn't exist. And then a Christian explorer, a Christian archaeologist who believed God's word came upon it. And by the way, when they came upon it, they littered it with New Testament Bibles because many believe it's the place where Israel will take refuge in the tribulation. That's how I condone putting tracks on telephone poles. And then just the eyewitness account, it's always held up in the court of law. The people that saw the resurrected Christ and the peoples whose life were changed from the resurrected Christ. Listen, the disciples before the crucifixion fled as cowards. After the Lord rose, they died as martyrs. Throughout the corridor of times, life changed to this day in this room. So many lives in this change and this room have been changed, my included. I knew many of you before you came to the Lord. God has began a good work in you and has been faithful to complete it. Amen. Then above all this, though, Peter said, we have the prophetic word confirmed. Listen, there in Thessalonica, there was fresh prophecy that had just taken place. The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some secular historians try to make it out that no one knew who Jesus was. It happened in some corner somewhere. Yet Paul declares in front of magistrates in the book of Acts, verse chapter 26, that these things weren't done in a corner. Jesus on the road to Emmaus, he says, are you the only one that doesn't know what's happened when he ministers to those people? This was something that everyone knew about, the death, the life, the death, the resurrection of Christ. Giant crowds followed Jesus wherever he went. When the Gentiles began to group for him, that's when the Lord knew it was time for him to go to the cross and fulfill his ministry. Prophecy after prophecy. Listen, over 300 prophecies Jesus fulfilled in his life, his death, and his resurrection. God knows the end from the beginning. We have the prophetic word confirmed through the word of God prophesying, and then those things happening to the exact detail. Well, some say, well, listen, Nostradamus, you know what he prophesied? Hitler would come. Well, he didn't say Hitler would come. And listen, if you throw enough darts at the board, you might hit a couple. I hear these people say, I have a prophecy. There's going to be a great earthquake in California. You're really going out on a limb there, you know? (laughs) Dionne Warwick said there would be a tornado in Kansas. Really, boy. You start getting in the odds of these prophecies fulfilled, and they're astronomical. The numbers go past things we can comprehend. And I'll tell you, in the day we're living in today, there is prophecy unfolding all around us. The other night at dinner with my girls, we, I have a Bible program, uh, an app. It's, it's, just, it's really cool because they do different voices and background. It's not cheesy. It's really well done. And I'm like, let's listen to Matthew 24. Things leading up to the coming of God, the coming of Jesus. And then we talked about that, and they said, well, what, what's the sign the Lord's coming? Teenagers, you know, they're, they wanna, they're like, man, I want to get married and have kids, but I want the Lord to come back too, and they're kind of conflicted. And I said, listen, 
You live each day for the Lord. You rejoice in the Lord. You do what God's before you. And there's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, know the Lord is coming. And when he comes, it's going to be in his perfect time. And what he has for us is even so much better than what he's blessed us with here. But we talked about the fig tree in that chapter being Israel and Israel becoming a nation. Technology that's unfolded that could only produce the results that are talked about in the tribulation of all the world seeing two two witnesses dead in the streets of Jerusalem. This one world system we're heading towards of a one world government and economy and and, uh, religion. And then wars and rumors of wars, deception, the love of many growing cold, all this turmoil on the earth. And then what really popped to me was Matthew 24, 10. And then many will be offended and betray one another and hate one another. Boy, welcome to our day, right? It seems like everyone is offended. And listen, it, it, it's, you know, people would say all oh, those snowflakes over there on the left. There's a lot of snowflakes on the right. There's so many people, that's their gospel. If you offend me, now I'm self-righteous in my stance. And let me go hide in a corner over here and not engage anyone in conversation and reason with others and reason with truth. That's spot on. Jesus Christ did this 2,000 years ago, leading to his coming. Many will be offended, betray one another, and hate one another. That's prophecy that is being fulfilled right now. And you can't deny that. It's unlike any other age in the history of the world. A bunch of thin-skinned individuals running around. And guess what the root of it is? Pride. The root of it is pride. I don't want to be corrected. I don't want to learn anything. I'll go over in the corner with my ball, and I'm going to sit over here in pride and isolate myself. Listen, they heard the word. Paul said, you received the word of God that you heard from us. We have a high call to deliver the word, especially in the day we're living in. I won't read it, but 2 Timothy 4, we're called to preach the word because the time will come when the word won't be preached. When ears will just be tickled. And why the word? Because listen, the Bible declares that all men are liars. The church of Laodicea, it is a church. Laodicea means man's opinion. They mix God's word with man's opinion, or God's word with man's opinion, and they get a lukewarm product that God says, I'm going to spit out of my mouth. And God says concerning them, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That's the word of man. I want the word of God because the word of God sets souls free. And it effectively works in those that receive it and believe it. Again, Paul's rejoicing. They receive the word of God as it is in truth, the word of God, and now it's effectively working in your lives. And if you welcome and receive God's word into your life, it will effectively work in your life. A, to save you when you put your faith in Jesus as Lord. And then there's so much more that it does. I'll just give you a couple verses and then we're gonna jam through the rest of this. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. Can we say we need some correction in our lives? For instruction in righteousness, we need that, don't we? That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God wants to complete that work he started in you and in part he does that through you receiving and getting in God's word. 1 Peter 2, 2, it says, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. There's growth that comes spiritually when we're in the word of God. Psalm 119, 11, 
Your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. God's word renews our mind. God's word tells us of God's love for us. The more we know of his love, the more we'll love him back. And listen, I'll tell you the thing that will refrain you from sin is loving the Lord more than the sin. Period. Joseph, when he was tempted, said, why should I sin against my God? He loved the Lord more than that desire to appease his senses. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. You get it without your faith to go, get in God's word. Again, they had received the word and it was effectively working to them to the point in verse 14, they were imitating the church in Judea. The church in Judea was full of Jews that grew up in the scriptures. The remnant there that saw Jesus indeed was Messiah. They were there at Pentecost when the Holy Ghost was poured out. They're about 15, 20 years in flourishing. And now this group of pagans that worship idols, that sacrifice their kids to demons, that participated in every and all sorts of sexual immorality, so forth and so forth. Now they've been saved, they've been washed, they've received the word of God. And a year or two in, they're bearing the exact same fruits of that church in Judea. That's awesome, is it not? I see that happening in people's lives. Even in this day where we see so many things unfolding, people coming to the Lord, and as they begin to grow in the Lord, receive God's word, they begin to produce, or the Lord begins to produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their life. Because as an apple tree that's healthy is gonna produce apples, a true born-again Christian that is healthy from the word of God is gonna produce the fruits of the Holy Spirit, whether they're in Tascadero or Zimbabwe. It's gonna be similar. Likewise, listen, As the church in Judea was persecuted by their own countrymen, the church in Thessalonica now was going to be and was being persecuted by their own countrymen. And if you're going to live for the Lord, if you're going to receive God's word, there's going to be some persecution and opposition that comes from it. Matthew 10, 21, Jesus said, Now brother will deliver brother to death, and father is child, and a child will raise up against his parents and cause them to be put to death and you'll be hated by all for my name's sake but he who endures to the end will be saved. Listen, the world celebrates its own and the world loves nothing better than a compromised ministry or a compromised pastor that distorts the word of God, that fudges the books to tickle men's ears. Jesus said in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, you know it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. This week I saw a clip from Hillsong's pastor, Carl Lentz, on The View. Listen, that's a godless show. And they celebrated this guy. You look so cool. And who cares about the outward appearance in his skinny jeans and whatnot? If you got those, if you wear those, whatever. Who cares though? You're the only pastor I ever saw that looked like that. Well, you don't look at too many pastors because a lot of them look like that today and it's no big deal. The sad thing is though, the first question out of the gate is, is abortion and homosexuality wrong? And he refused to answer the question. He refused to defend the life of a baby in the mother's womb And he refused to love those in the sin of homosexuality by saying, yes, it is, but Jesus Christ died so that you could be forgiven and washed and the Lord can begin a good work in you and he'll be faithful to complete it. He refused. And they applauded that and they celebrated that. But boy, he got all on his high horse and defended 
a lot of this progressive, hateful liberalism that is dividing our country. And it's on both sides. And when they asked him about racism, and instead of saying, listen, the book of Acts declares we all come from one blood. Boy, what a grand opportunity to a national audience to say, the only difference between a white man and a black man is the pigment of their skin. We come from one blood. And Jesus shed his blood so all can get saved. Instead, he, fl- he, he, he flamed the fire of hatred by taking a stand. And boy, he was applauded on that. If you're going to stand for the word of God, for truth, you're going to be hated by certain individuals and by some more than others. He says, these killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And notice here, they don't please God and are contrary to all men. Did just the Judeans kill the Lord? Just the Jews? No, we all have a responsibility in the Lord's death. He died for our sins. But as they persecuted those in Judea, they persecuted those in Thessalonica, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, they're going to suffer it as well. And notice in this, they don't please God. You can't please the Lord if you're resisting the Lord. And notice here, though, they're contrary to all men, even to themselves. They're contrary to their own soul and all those in their camp. They're contrary to the souls, to the eternal well-being of individuals. Why? Notice 16. Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. When individuals forbid the preaching of God's word, and even worse, when they distort the word of God, they get in the way between people coming to Jesus Christ. They prevent men from getting saved from eternal hell. And boy, there's a lot of people in our culture that forbid the teaching of the word of God. That take a strong stand. Certain companies and bosses and so forth. Oh, we're going to have none of the word of God here? Well, that's your company. You can have whatever you want in that company. Oh, the law says the law doesn't say that. You need to know what the law says. Yeah, there are certain things, and you don't want to be a Rambo and lose your opportunity to have a witness in certain places. But the school teacher that comes along and knocks the Bible off the student's desk and say, we'll have none of that here. That child has a right to have his Bible in that class and talk about God all he wants. And they forbid it. We see a movement in our government, in governments across the land to try to forbid the word of God. When was the last time you saw a Hollywood movie, not these Christian movies, that taught about the word of God? The Christian's always a psycho in it, right? I saw a college this week. They had different things that are hate speech. And one of the things they have, which was hate speech, was the term Jesus saves. And boy, if you're going to do this, you're promoting hate speech and you'll be banned from our campus. They're convicted because they need to be saved from their sin. That's why it's such an offense to them. God wants to save souls, and the souls are saved when the gospel is preached. It's the power of God and the salvation. But woe to the individual that forbids it. The parent that won't allow their child to go to the good news club or youth group. We'll have none of that in our home. You're contrary to your own soul and to your own child. Life is short and eternity will last forever. And only those in Christ Jesus who have been washed will spend it with him. Yet God is so gracious to these individuals. Have you ever thought, if I were God, I'd put an end to it right now? 
Aren't you glad he didn't do that towards us? He's long-suffering. He's patient. He's wanting these individuals to repent like Paul did. He was opposed to the gospel, and yet he repented. And now he's writing about this, and he knows it firsthand. God gives grace and mercy day after day. And when you see individuals standing up against God's word, listen, on one hand, it's a picture of God's great grace and mercy. Unfortunately, so many of them don't acknowledge that. Instead, they say, I did the same thing today that I did yesterday. God doesn't even take note of what I'm doing. And yet, listen, God will allow that sin to run its course. And the more God's grace and mercy is rejected, hear this, the more one's cup is filled up with the wrath of God. You want to reject God's grace and mercy day after day after day, forbid the teaching of God's word? God will be gracious, merciful, long-suffering. God wants to see you saved. But if you continue in that, you are taking a cup and his grace and mercy is being pulled out here that's being rejected. The cup of wrath is being poured up, filled up over here. And he says here, wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Yet hear this, in Jesus Christ, you know what it says? It says we are saved to what? To the uttermost. Through Jesus Christ. Through him and him alone. Let's stand up. We're going to close in prayer. One last worship song. Oh, Lord, we praise you this morning, God. We thank you for opportunity to come here to worship you, to partake of the Lord's Supper, to open your word. And, Lord, it is our hope that this word that we've looked at this morning will effectively work in our lives that we'd be a people that are bearing fruit, a people that are unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and a people, God, that walk in truth while having great compassion on those that don't know you, even those that raise up obstacles from others coming to know you. Lord, we know you love these people immensely. Open their eyes and hearts up to who you are, the living God. And Lord, let us be a people again abounding in you day after day after day. Lord, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are merciful. We thank you that your mercies are new every day. Listen, if you haven't called on the Lord, again, today's the day of salvation. God gave you opportunity to come and hear the gospel today. Maybe someone even forbid you, but you made it here anyway. Maybe you didn't even plan to come here, but somehow you ended up here. We are sinners. God is holy. Sin brings death. God's not bringing death into his eternal kingdom. Jesus came, lived a sinless life, and built the bridge between sinners and a holy God that whoever would humble their heart and put their faith in Jesus to be their God, their Lord, to rule over their life, which means we are renouncing whatever our God is and turning from our sin to put faith in him The Bible says whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you've called on him, rejoice in that today. If you haven't, call on him today. And he will meet you where you're at. He wants to so desperately. He loves you so much. Call on the Lord. Let's worship him as we close here. my God when I in awe 
awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made I see the stars I hear the rolling thunder thy power throughout the universe displays sings my soul my Savior God to thee how great thou art how great thou art then sings my soul my Savior God to
Bless you. Pray you have a wonderful day in the Lord Jesus Christ.